Regulators Podcast, your weekly time where you can take those hot takes and clickbait articles and shove them straight up your... That's right, guys. Hello, my name is Waldo. Welcome to the Regulators Podcast. Good to have you here on another slow, slow week of the NFL offseason. So as alluded to, there is not a lot going on during the offseason right now, so that tends to kind of lead people to invent stories or try to create narratives and things to talk about. You know that's something that we will never ever do on this show. Therefore, we're going to keep it short and sweet this week and uh, just touch on some of the headlines, some of the things that are going on around the league. So first and foremost, the only real uh, contract movement of note that happened this week is the Miami Dolphins agreed to a three-year extension with Jerome Baker for $39 million, including $28.4 million guaranteed. Now, I think this was a great deal for both sides. It's interesting. I've heard a few people say that they thought uh, Baker was overpaid in this deal, which to me boggles my mind. I don't really understand it. But just to give you a quick stat. So in 2020, If you look at the players with at least 80 tackles in the season and five or more sacks, there are only three such players. One is Jamal Adams, who's a safety, had 83 tackles for the Seahawks, nine and a half sacks, which, you know, I'm not even going to get into just what that expresses for him as being a safety and having uh, that many sacks and the way that he is used. He is a phenomenal player. So Jamal Adams, 83 tackles, nine and a half sacks. Jerome Baker, 112 tackles and seven sacks. And then you have Devin White with 140 tackles and nine sacks. Those are the only three players with more than 80 tackles and five sacks. And not only did Jerome Baker have the seven sacks, but he had literally 32 more tackles above that threshold. So there was there was nobody else other than those three guys that were in that category. And when you look at the way the Dolphins structured the deal, remember, this is an extension. This is not a new contract. So he does not get that money this year. This year he's still playing for peanuts and then starting in 2022, he will have a three-year deal worth up to an average of $13 million a year. Now, here's the thing. Even if you thought that he was going to get every single penny of that money, which he won't, but even if you thought he met every single threshold for every performance bonus, for everything to completely max out the $39 million, at $13 million a year average, that would put him at, I believe it's the 17th highest paid linebacker Right now, right now, now remember, this money doesn't start until 2022. So when that money hits in 2022, he would currently be the 17th highest paid linebacker. But what's about to happen between now and 2022 season? A lot of linebackers are going to get new deals. A lot of linebackers will set the market and completely change 
you know what the asking price is and there's going to be new deals especially as the TV revenues start to come in which we won't really fully see until into uh, 2022 2023 but remember for those of you guys who don't know how the salary cap works the salary cap is an exact percentage of the revenue that the NFL generates. So when all the teams take their TV money, they take their jersey sales, their merchandise, their tickets, like everything that comes in, there's a certain percentage that goes to paying NFL salaries. So it's not like, you know, each year you hear us going, oh, well, what will the salary cap be? What will the floor be? What will the ceiling be? Where will it fall? It's not like there's a room full of people who are saying, yeah, let's bump it to 210. Let's let's bump it to this. Like, that's not really how it works. What you're doing is you're waiting for all those financials to fully come in. Like, you can have kind of an idea of where it's going to be, but when all the dust settles and everything is done, there is a number, there is a percentage, and that percentage will be spent on player salaries. So because of these huge lucrative TV deals and everything else that's coming in through the pipeline, the salary cap is going to explode in the next five years. I mean, it is going to just take off. And there's nothing that the NFL owners can do about it. And it's not really something that's going to be a detriment to them because they are beneficiaries of that system that's generating a lot of money. So it's fine. The point is, we have talked about on this show, if you have young players that are going to be coming into extensions in the next couple of years, you might want to get ahead of that. Because once that new TV money comes in, sky's the limit. And you've seen a lot of players this year more than typical, take the one-year deal because they know the real money is going to start to come in next year. So the idea that as it sits right now, if no contracts got redone, if nobody got a raise, if nobody got new deals and set the bar for linebackers, that already Jerome Baker would only be the 17th highest paid linebacker uh, as far as annual value, average value per year, that tells me that by the time 2022 rolls around, he might be 30th. You know, he might like he might be way, way down that food chain. So this was a good deal. It was a good deal for the Dolphins. It was a good deal for Baker. Um, and that's that's really, you know, all there is to say. Um, one of the things that you know, I find interesting is it, it's always easy to say, oh, we, we overpaid someone, you know, look at how much money we gave them or look at how much guaranteed, but go look at it. Anybody who knows me, who's listened to our podcast, who's ever, you know, gotten in our live spaces or had a conversation with me knows I'm an empirical person, right? If you tell me that you're overpaying someone, then I want to know, okay, what are his peers? What are the comps? What are the things that you think warrants overpayment you know it's easy to say that someone is overpaid but if you look and they're way way down the line as far as where they're getting paid and the production matches in that same type of rank or higher then it's 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 hard to really say that they're overpaid but that was the only real contract news coming out there's a few players that are obviously holding out due to contract issues 
um, sticking with the Dolphins. Xavier Howard is one of them. And that's going to be interesting to how it plays out because obviously he's only one year into the deal that he signed that made him briefly the highest paid cornerback uh, in the NFL. And then obviously Byron Jones came in and Dolphins gave him more money than they gave Xavier Howard. And I don't think anybody will argue that Byron Jones is a better cornerback than Xavier Howard. Um, a lot of that can be rectified, and the Dolphins, I think, will will work that out. I don't see him getting traded or moved, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. Um, so he's holding out. Also, the, uh, the New England Patriots, you have Stephon Gilmore, is also a holdout right now. And uh, I believe, actually, the aforementioned uh, Jamal Adams, also a holdout. So... Lots of DBs looking for new contracts, looking for new money. I think that Xavier Howard is definitely probably the one who's worth the most or might have the most leverage at the moment. Not because Jamal Adams and Stephon Gilmore aren't great players, but Xavier Howard should have been the defensive player of the year, full stop. Like So he, he's got a lot of leverage right now, and it's post-draft and things like that. But... Uh, all of those guys, you know, to be interesting to see if they end up being put on the market and, and being moved or how that kind of plays out. But other than that, it's it's kind of business as usual. We had the first day of training camp and already the same crap that we were hearing out of voluntary mini camps that players all of a sudden forgot how to play football uh, in their absence. Like it, it's just ridiculous, man. I, I, I have a lot of really, really strong thoughts on this, but uh, I'm gonna save some of them for the live show that I am actually doing tonight with Antoine Staley and uh, Jason Sarney, the other two of the three amigos. So we're gonna do a live space tonight on Twitter. Definitely check it out, 8 p.m. Eastern, if you guys are around. If you are listening to this podcast on Thursday, Friday, Saturday etc then uh, i'm sorry you missed out but uh we we always plug these things in advance on twitter usually a few days before so again if you're not following us on twitter or you don't have notifications turned on you're, you're definitely missing out but we'll we'll save that for the live twitter spaces but in general come on man practice we're talking about practice we're talking about the first day of practice like the, this overblown stuff just just really has to kind of change um, one of the other things that I did see is that the Vikings agreed to terms with Sheldon Richardson, which it's interesting because we had actually just talked about this, uh, on Twitter earlier this week, we were having a conversation about defensive spending in 2021 and especially as compared to, um, the previous year. So one of the things that was interesting was that in 2020, the New England Patriots and the Minnesota Vikings had two of the lowest percentages of their cap dedicated to, um, to defensive spending, to defensive side of the ball. Now, there were a few things with that. Obviously, the Patriots having Hightower as one of their opt-outs, there was a lot of money involved there. And then also, um, they kept around $30 million that they were going to have some plans with. So they ended up rolling some money into 2021. And that was kind of a little bit a part of the Patriots situation. But 
All things said and done, in 2020, the Minnesota Vikings spent just 24.6% of their cap on defense and the Patriots 227 So both teams, under 25% of their spending of their cap was headed towards defense. Yet in 2021, both teams are top four in defensive cap spending. So huge shift, obviously, in, in where you're putting your money that year. And I don't think anybody needs it more than the Vikings. The Vikings, obviously, we talked about how for a couple years there, that secondary was nasty. I mean, their defense was really a force to be reckoned with. And then they just did like an identity swap where all of a sudden the they lost some players through free agency um, and they just decided that they weren't going to replace any of them. So that's why the Vikings, unfortunately, had a much better offense than anybody will appreciate last year. People don't understand how good Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, uh, obviously Justin Jefferson, but like the entire offense for Minnesota and its efficiency and, and what they did, like it just, it was well overshadowed by the fact that they were losing games because the defense was such hot trash. And that's not to say that there weren't good players on the defense, but they were so left out to dry because the organization, the front office, did not go out and replace a lot of players that left, and it just ended up being really bad. So the Vikings obviously are trying to correct that with all of the money that they've spent in the offseason and all the money that they have dedicated now to the defensive side of the ball. And the Patriots, you know, the Patriots are trying to get back to where they should be. I mean, it's been decades of winning and decades of strong defenses. And then last year was obviously not a great outing by the New England Patriots. So they get a bunch of their opt-outs back. Obviously, we know that Patrick Chung retired, so that's going to be something that will affect them as well. But two teams that are definitely trying to put their money where their mouth is and say, we're going to improve and we're going to stop people, and that is going to give our offense a chance to actually do something with the ball where we don't need to score 40-something points to win every game. I tell you one thing that I do have more time during the offseason to get into a little bit more is I read a lot of the polls and a lot of the interesting questions that get put out there on the Twitter streets. And obviously we have some of our own. We actually just finished one this week where we asked you guys, what do you think is more likely that we will see an 0-17 team, a 17-0 team, or we will see neither? And the actual winner at 45% was that we will see an 0 and 17 team. So now I'm curious to who you guys think that will be, but uh it would be interesting to see which happens first. I mean, I, I can't it's hard to imagine a team going 17 and 0 in the regular season. Um but, you know, 0 and 17 just seems probably more likely. We we've seen a lot of zero win or one win teams and it it just seems probable. But One of the polls that I saw that I thought was actually very, very interesting. Uh, This was from uh, Send It Podcast. So they're at Send It Podcast. And I just came across it scrolling through one day. And it says, you're the GM of any football team. Which of the three are you hiring as your head coach? And your choices are Andy Reid, Matt LaFleur, and John Gruden. 
Now, this was fascinating to me, right? Because at first glance, you're like, all right, you know, this, this should be easy. And then I, I look at the results, and I realize that it's not as far and away as, as what I would think. And I start reading through the comments, and it fascinates me. It just fascinates me, the mind of different people, right? So for me, and this is just a personal completely subjective thing gun to my head i'm the gm of a football team and i need one of these three guys as a head coach if i'm assured that he's going to be there for another four or five years it's andy reed no question i'm taking andy reed his body of work and what he's done and i think people especially young people forget the level of success that he had with the eagles and what he's done over the years. And then when he first went to Kansas City and the level of success that he had with Alex Smith, and I think people really don't understand fully his resume. And so I think that for me, Andy Reid is far and away my number one answer. Now what I find fascinating is that Matt LaFleur and John Gruden are like neck and neck. And honestly, for a while, it looked like it was a three-way tie in this in this poll. But Andy Reid started to surge a little bit ahead. Uh, and then Matt LaFleur and John Gruden are, are kind of neck and neck and still going, at, at least at the time of this podcast. And I find it interesting because you can look at this several different ways, right? You can look at the fact that Matt LaFleur has had more success early on as a head coach than damn near anybody and he's had a huge uh successful run taking over right but you can't discount the fact that obviously he has Aaron Rodgers which for my money is one of the greatest talents to ever pick up a football in NFL history I think that he's just he's a god so you can do that, though. You can play that game with anybody, and you can say, oh, you know, just like Belichick and Brady, same thing. Now that Brady's not there, is is that was he the whole thing, or, you know, was it both? Was it, you know, so it's, it's really hard to discern. However, for me, Matt LaFleur has only been in the league for two years. So, yes, he's had success. It's not like he won a Super Bowl yet. But he, he's had success, but again, only for two years. The real test, the real test for me, for Matt LaFleur, will be if and when Aaron Rodgers does indeed move on. So whether he gets traded sometime this year or he plays through this year and then something happens next offseason, sooner or later, Matt LaFleur will see a post-Aaron Rodgers career in Green Bay, whether that's Jordan Love, whether that's somebody else, and then I think will be a real testament of who he is as a coach, because we've seen it with Andy Reid. We've seen him go through the gamut of quarterbacks. I mean, the Mike Vicks of the world, like we have seen Andy Reid go through it with so many different quarterbacks, so many different coaches, so many different systems. I have not yet seen that out of Matt LaFleur. Now let's flip over to John Gruden. John Gruden, when he won the Super Bowl, he was he was hot, right? Like the, the guy could almost do no wrong. He had built the program 
with the Raiders, goes to Tampa Bay, ends up playing against his old quarterback in the Super Bowl and, you know, coaching staff and and people he was familiar with and things like that. So it was a very meteoric rise for John Gruden. Then he becomes an analyst. He gets into doing the whole Monday Night Football and all the other things, the Gruden's Grinders and all those things. Like, it was great. But then he gets this massive mega 10-year deal to come back and, and coach the Raiders and bring Mike Mayock with him. And from the get, there's been a lot of questions. There's been a lot of how do you trade away Khalil Mack, but then the hope is that you're going to do it for picks that obviously you're going to turn into the future of the franchise, much the way the Cowboys did when they traded away Herschel Walker. Um, It hasn't happened yet. He has yet to prove that he is still the guy, that he is still the man. And I get it. He's a player's coach, and he's high energy, and he's smart. He's a very, very smart coach, and I understand that. But you're telling me I'm the GM of a franchise, and I can have any one of those three guys. And you're telling me you would take John Gruden over the other two? Or even even Matt LaFleur over Andy Reid? I want to know how... How can I put this? I want to put this politely because I don't want to alienate people. But what the fuck are you thinking? Like, I, I just said, like, that, I, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, either if you are 19 years old and you chose one of those two options in the poll, then I have no problem with you because it's a recency bias. And, you know, given the context of the information you have to go on, I, I get it. But if you are over the age of 32, 33, and you think that you would take John Gruden over Andy Reid, and you are not from the Bay Area, you're not from Oakland, you are not, you know, somehow associated with the actual Raiders, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. But that's the point of these polls. They're subjective. They're fun. It's it's just meant so so people can share their thoughts. But I do really, really enjoy the comment section and the back and forth and watching everybody get into these little internet battles. So those are, those are fun to watch for sure. Um... If you guys have a good suggestion for a poll, for something we should put up, DM us, tag us. If you have your own poll, if it's good enough, we will absolutely retweet it because we love to talk football. We love to talk shit. You know, that's that's what we do. I did get uh, one question from Mr. Wilson, longtime listener who always suggests things for the podcast. He wanted a uh, something about what position would Waldo play if uh, if I was on an NFL team, and I can't even imagine the unkind things that would come out of that poll, so we're not going to do that. I would say that I would be probably the water boy somewhere. Um, too much respect for all those guys that are on the field. But as a kid, as a kid, when I had my option, it was free safety all day. Free safety all day. So you want that fire? Come and get it across the middle. But um. I Again, I am not going to take up a lot of your guys' time this week. I told you I was going to keep it short and sweet, and especially because I'm saving some of my fun stuff for the live Twitter space that we're going to do. It's only live. you got to catch us on Twitter. Um, but I am so, so excited for the things we have coming up during the regular season. 
I wish that I could just pull some clickbait hot take shit out of my ass and talk for another half an hour about things that don't really matter, but that's just not who I am. So you know what? I know I don't have an hour of a podcast for you guys this week, but at least I do have, you know, where are we at right now? Uh, about 20-something minutes so of you not having to listen to that garbage. So at least for basically a half an hour, instead of having to listen to those shock jocks and ridiculous garbage, you got to listen to my dumbass for half an hour, and we were able to avoid at least 30 minutes of it. So I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you to everybody who continues to send us support and love and shout-outs on Twitter and all of it. We really, really appreciate it. Keep an eye out for the live spaces and the contests that are coming. If you would like to be a sponsor of the show, definitely reach out through the DMs. We are looking for more stuff to give away to our fans because that's what it's about. It's about always giving back and remembering who gives us this platform to do what we do. So I love you guys. I'll catch you next week. Peace.